All right, uh, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going through verses 19 through 31, looking at church dynamics uh, tonight. Sunday morning, I'm super excited about John 14, 1 through 3, a remedy for troubled hearts. Anybody ever had a troubled heart in this place, right? We're back in the Gospel of John, and I love the remedy. It's pretty simple. It's, it's believe in God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus goes on to give him that promise, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, room for everyone here. So get to preach about heaven on Sunday morning. So I pray that you'd uh, invite your friends and, and make plans already to be there. And then Brother Richard is going to preach on Psalm 105 uh, this Sunday night, our next to last sermon in the book of Psalms uh, for the time being. So uh, please already, I know you're preparing your hearts to be there on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and let's uh, get excited about what the Lord might have to say to us. I really did enjoy the series on church membership uh, for, for three weeks, even though I probably belabored the point about the body of Christ, uh, but I wanted to make sure you got it. So three weeks of the same material makes sure I, I hit everybody. Uh, all right. Now, the section we're in tonight, most people, when they come to this particular section, they, they kind of want to deal with Paul's early year inspiration for his ministry, what motivated him and, and what drove him, what did his early ministry look like. Uh, and the central point, though, I think of this text is found uh, in verse 31. Uh, in verse 31, it's, it's a similar text to what we've seen before in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. If you remember what happened, that's right after the calling of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, uh, and they, they show some of the dynamics of the early church and, uh, and the days and the months of the church of Jerusalem at the very beginning. And there's that record uh, that's given to us in Acts 6.31 that the church, or 6.7, that the church multiplied and many peace priests were added to the faith. That the word of God went forth, the church multiplied and many priests were added to the faith. Well, now we come to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and look at what we have as another central focus of our text tonight. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. After there were certain dynamics at work, after certain things happened, God brought this stage in the early church's life that propelled it forward. And that's what I kind of really would prefer to deal with. Not so much looking at Paul's, uh, Saul's early church ministry, even though this is what that text is primarily about. I'd like to look at dynamics in church life. I think that kind of flows out of what we were talking about on Sundays anyway. And so in, in the realm of physics, when we talk about dynamics, it deals... Actually, the word dynamic comes from a, a Greek word meaning power, and it deals with powers that are work, uh, that do things to objects that are in motion, or things that set them in motion. And so, in the same way, there are these dynamics here that are operative on these elements that are in motion for the pr- uh, production of the church. So, we're entitling this Church Dynamics, remembering that Acts... First isn't about the apostles, it's not. It's not first about Saul, it's not about Peter, it's about Jesus. And not just that, but it's the things that we know that in Luke, it's about the things that Jesus began to do and teach, and in Acts, it's about the things that Jesus 
continues to do and teach. So what are those dynamics? We've got a couple. The first dynamic I want you to look at, and you've got to write these down tonight, or type them down, whatever, is amazing grace. Uh, the church dynamic, number one, a lesson in amazing grace. I want you to look with me at verses 20 and 21 and 26, and they speak of, of this, which is actually, well, obviously it's one of the clear themes in the book of Acts, amazing grace. Remember our background? What we look at the last two weeks, really? What happened the last two weeks? What's the big story in Acts chapter 9? Saul. What about Saul? His conversion. It's a, it's a marvelous story. What is Saul on the way to Damascus to do? Kill Christians. He was a leading persecutor of the church, but we know that on the road to Damascus, Saul was converted by amazing grace. We read that in, in chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, and because of that tremendous insight he already had in the Old Testament, the light had come as surely as the scales had fell off of his face. He saw the light of Christ. And then we saw last week, really, that in verse 20, right away, what does he begin doing? Preaching. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me of Acts chapter 9. It says, And immediately he, being Saul, began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not the, uh, he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? What do you think the reaction of the people was to Saul's proclamation of the gospel? It says it in there. They're, they're amazed. They can't get over this. As you would be, Right? as I hope you would be, they cannot get over this. And then actually later on, he goes to Jerusalem and Jerusalem has a similar response. He comes to Jerusalem after a several year period uh, and, and he tries to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. And then look what it says in verse 26 of Acts chapter nine. When he, being Saul, came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. That's amazing grace uh, that he is a disciple. They, they couldn't even believe that he actually was, but he is. And listen, this is an incidental because this is what we tend to think. Listen to me. We tend to think that it's the righteous ones that Jesus saves. We may not say it, but we think it. It's the good ones that Jesus will meet in his grace. He doesn't come to the bad apples in the barrel. He comes to the good ones and he just brightens them up. We all naturally think like this. This is why, by the way, when you have a good week, you think that the Lord must really love you. And when you have a bad week, you think the Lord must really hate you. And I, what I want to do is I want to turn your perspective upside down, and I just want to give you this text in Luke 5, 32, to memorize, place in your heart, and think about always. Jesus speaks, saying, I have not come to call the righteous, but... Sinners. sinners to repentance. And so while Saul was blameless, according to the law, there were goads in him convicting him. Remember that? He came to Christ as a sinner. He was saved by amazing grace. And why is that? Because let me, let me remind you of this. Salvation is not first for you. Did you know that? Your salvation is not first for so that you would be happy, 
Your salvation is not first so that you would live with 40 days of purpose. Your salvation is not first for you even to go to heaven. Your salvation first is for the praise of the glory of the grace of God. He gets amazing glory out of taking the worst apple in the barrel and making them his own child. That's amazing grace. And we've all experienced that. I hope you have. It's so amazing, in fact, that people just can't get over it. And I hope you're examples of that. How many of you in your own testimonies would say, I was the most unlikely of persons to be saved? My rebellion was great. I was in wickedness. I was not even thinking in the way of righteousness. And the Lord surely, as he stopped Saul on the way to Damascus, albeit not in the same way, he still stopped me and he caused me to see his glory and set me straight. And I am amazed to the praise of the glory of the grace of God. That's not part of your testimony. There might be a problem. See, if if you think that, that you are a pretty good person and God has somewhat complimented you by putting the frosting on the cake of your wonderful existence, I suggest that you don't understand grace. You can't. Because grace comes to the unworthy like Saul so that all the people around can say, I can't believe this. Do you believe that, church? If so, if this is the case, the natural response would be we don't despair of the conversion of anybody. Just a practical application we can think about here. Do you ever say, maybe not out loud, but in your heart, that person will never be converted? Think of Saul. Oh, but they're so bad. Think of Saul. They're so self righteous. You know what I'm going to say here, right? Think of Saul. Don't despair of anybody. It's also just an encouragement, a reminder of of acceptance too. Notice the problem here in verse 26. They were were scared and listen, we can empathize with that, right? I'm sure we probably would have been a little bit terrified as well. They're all wondering if if Paul's like a rat, like if if he's a mole that's been placed in to destroy them from within. They had to be convinced that he was not, but they, they accepted Saul. So, so it is when people come to Christ, regardless of their backgrounds, when they come to faith in Christ, don't give them the mean mug. You say, praise the Lord for his grace to take sinners like me and like you and draw them to Christ. Amen. So that's the first lesson, a lesson of amazing grace. Any questions on that? Mm. At the foot of the cross, we're all the same, right? Two boats, lost, saved by grace. Even, right? That's the idea. You are either lost or you are saved, and the only reason you're saved is because of the grace of God, not anything you did on your own, right? So, absolutely true. All right, second lesson. Church dynamic number two, a lesson in developing leadership. I love this. He, he not only saves people, but remember that the Lord ascended to, uh, to his people and the Lord gives gifts to men. Look at verses 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 9. It says, but Saul 
kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So he was quite effective then in work. We could agree with that, right? He was doing a pretty good job, because that's, that's the, the measurement to whether or not at this point in time you are a faithful Christian, as if uh, the leaders want to kill you. So that's almost a gold star on that sense. And then remember, in verse 27, uh, and, and remember, we're going to see Barnabas here. And remember remember Barnabas, Barnabas' nickname? Remember what they called him? Son of encouragement absolutely great he's referred to some of the well when Saul comes to Jerusalem Barnabas is there and he's still developing leadership in verse 27 we see this okay it says but Barnabas took hold of him being Saul and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus so in Saul and Barnabas's case, you see a little bit of a developing leadership here. And I want you to see how Saul's leadership was developed. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look at Galatians 1 with me and stick a thumb in Acts chapter 9 as we come back. Because uh, we know that Luke doesn't record everything that happened in, in these days, but he records a lot. But specifically the fact that, that there is this three-year period before these many days, the days that elapsed, that all were given is many days elapsed. Well, looks like it was about three years and then the Jews plotted to kill him. How do I get that, you ask? Well, in Galatians chapter one, starting in verse 15, here's what we got. It says, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, this is Apostle Paul now talking, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Last week he talked about the idea that that means he didn't go straight to the apostles. Uh, Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus, verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So Saul was actually in the area of Arabia for quite some time. That's where Saul was for about a period of three years. Now, we don't really know what, what happened in those three years, but people speculate. So why was Saul there and what was he doing? Here's what people mostly think. That some people think that while Saul was in Damascus, this was a seminary training for, for three years where he's getting answers to those questions that he continues to get developed on the road to Damascus. Remember those questions that he asked the Lord? He says, who are you, Lord? Right? And, and what would you have me do? <laughs> those are two pretty deep questions. And so some people think you, you just ask the question, who are you, Lord? And that can take you three years of study right there. So who knows? Some, some say he was up there for contemplation or study. Others have said it was ministry. Because after all, who was the apostle Paul called to? The Gentiles, and this was largely a Gentile community, though there were some Jewish sects there. So whether you say the contemplation or seminary model, ministry, what's most likely is both. Uh, But the point is, between verses 22 and 23, Saul is being prepared for ministry. Saul preached immediately, yes, but in God's providence, there was a time for preparation. What can we learn from this? Well, God, God is not in a hurry, folks. You know that, right? 
Now, why is this significant? Because Saul hasn't even met with an apostle yet, and he is preaching the gospel. See, we have this view of church, a a high church view that speaks of apostolic succession, right? No one is really a minister unless the church has laid hands on that person, and in laying hands on that person, those gifts are bestowed on the person regardless of whether the pastor or bishop or whatever who's laying hands on him is holy or not. So you can't do ministry unless that's happened. What an abhorrent view that is. These were people who, without any laying of hands on them at this point, had been exercising the God-given gifts. They were being formed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, they would be both Barnabas and Paul commissioned for their work. But this is so important in church dynamics. You watch, friends, the developing leadership in church life. You look for people who are gifted for the eldership and deaconship, and you go about doing work in the church life, as Saul and Barnabas did. Then there will be this recognition that it's not the church uh, has, has made a minister, the church is called a minister, but Christ has made a minister of the gospel. And so then they're called out. So this is a picture of developing leadership. Any questions about that? Second part. All right. Third part. In the third place, the third dynamic of church is a lesson in suffering. We all think this is fun, right? A lesson in suffering. And, and you know what? The second and the third are actually two things that are intricately connected because suffering is a part of developing leadership. Did you know that? Saul goes back to Damascus after many days that are past, and the Jews plot to kill him. And then look at verses 24 and 25 of what happens. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So that... That's a struggle, right? Uh, nobody, what do you think Saul's go, was going through Saul's mind as he's a grown man in a large basket escaping death? What did I sign up for, right? This is suffering here. But I want you to think about this. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, we're going to look at that text. He refers to this matter of being let down in the basket. And he actually is going to give us the reason why it happened. So we don't know if he had this immediately while he was in the basket. But at least at some point, God gave him a realization of why he was in there. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.30 says this. He says, Paul writing this, he says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas the king was guarding the city, that's just like the governor uh, of the Damascenes, in order to seize me. So that was the plot we just read about for the Jews to grab Paul and the, the other thinking Paul had become a traitor. They're thinking he he's, did the men, so they're trying to kill him. In verse 33, look at this. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. So why does Saul refer to that point? What he said at the beginning. God would be strong when he's weak. One old writer found this. I found this poem that's a beautiful poem. And this old writer said this. He said, God ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. See, suffering and weakness, they're a part of ministry. 
Saul had to learn that God did not need his strength. He would be persecuted, flawed, and opposed because he was bearing the cross of Christ. And so there is suffering that's inevitably connected to developing leadership. Winston Churchill, who was uh, quite, if you've ever heard his story, a death-defying man, uh, when he was in the military, said at one point he'd been shot at uh, while he was uh, uh, at war by an enemy in India, and he said, nothing is so exhilarating as to be shot at without resolve. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty awesome statement. Uh, it strengthened him as a leader to be opposed. So the Lord, in this simple way, with a basket, is strengthening Saul through suffering. Why? Because listen to me, I want you to hear this. If, if you don't hear anything else tonight, hear this. Brothers and sisters, the most important lesson for the Christian church is to learn that God doesn't need your strength. Let me tell you why I say this, because our church culture says the church has to be superhuman. What you need to do is you need to get a charismatic leader, get the charismatic elders, you get the strong men in leadership, and that church will show itself as something magnificent and superhuman. Listen to me, God doesn't want superhuman churches, he wants supernatural churches. So he takes weak Saul that has all these thorns in his flesh, and he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That is why so many ministers undergo so much affliction, so much trial in so many different ways. That is why if the Lord calls you to leadership in the church, part of the package will be suffering in one way or the other. And so there is suffering that comes to Saul and that's from, for him, as you learn in 2 Corinthians, is but a small token of so much suffering that would come. So that's the third dynamic. A couple more. They're the shorter ones. The fourth lesson of church dynamics will probably sound familiar. It's what Paul's doing behind the scenes. He's building church fellowship in unity. And that's what we have here is church dynamic number four, a lesson in building church fellowship in unity. It's kind of a little bit of our theme of the month if you haven't caught on to that, right? In first, uh, in, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter nine again in verses 26 through 28, this is what we have. I'm done with that. Verse 26 says, When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, Paul, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. But Barnabas, again, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how to Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. That term, moving out freely, moving about freely, that language means that he had free fellowship with them. When your children come and go into your house, right, even at grown, uh, grown ages, when they walk into your house and they come and they go, uh, that shows that they have free fellowship there, right? They don't have to call to get permission to come and they're, they're part of the home. They can stay there. And so there's a language of moving about freely. There is church fellowship in unity. You see, Saul had a drive to be a part of the Lord's people. 
Listen to this. Think about this. Think about his testimony, what happened. He came to Jerusalem. He had to look the church up in Jerusalem. You think he would think this at some point. These are people who have relatives for whose murder I was responsible. You would think that Saul would want to be any other place but the church. But when he labors to join the disciples, we see that's not the case. He he labored, he worked hard to be with them, even though they may have been afraid of him. You see, if you're a genuine Christian, you are going to love other Christians. And, and they grasped this in the early church. They said, outside the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. They weren't saying the church somehow saves you, but if you're saved, you're part of the church. You're part of the bride of Christ. You want to be where that body, wherever it meets. Now, I'll give you one more 1 Corinthians 12 body analogy, and then I'm done for the year, okay? If my wife's finger was up in the bedroom, and her toe was in the den and her foot was in the living room, I'd have a very strange bride indeed, right? But if she's together, she functions as one. Hence, we are able as a church, as the bride of Christ, to do things as one. And if you love Christ, you're going to love his bride. Because we, we know that what's going to happen is we're going to pass from death into life if we love the brethren. That's the result. If you don't want to be with the Lord's people, then, then you have not passed from death to life. Saul had. He had passed from spiritual death to spiritual life dramatically, and he wanted to be with the Lord's people. It was difficult for the people. You can understand that, right? Could you imagine somebody who is responsible for the murder of one of your loved ones coming to join our church? Could you imagine that? How difficult that would be. So you can understand, there's, a, there's difficult. There's a difficult thing here with these people. They needed someone to convince them, so God sends a leader here. They used Barnabas as an enabler in the church unity, representing Christ. And I can imagine this. They said, there's no way we're going to sit down and even listen to this guy. Barnabas says, wait a minute. I've talked with him. He says, just listen to his testimony. Listen to Saul. And apparently, when they listened, they were convinced. Because the next verse, it says, he came in and went out with them, moving freely with the fellowship. What a testimony of the church. Fellowship in unity. That is a drive for church fellowship and unity. Listen, can I tell you something? Independence and Christianity are like oil and water. There is no such thing as an independent Christian. So if you, if you use language like, I don't need my brothers and sisters, then you're saying you don't need Christ because Christ works through his people to show his grace to you. If you use language like, all I really need is just for Jesus to forgive me, well, you need brothers and sisters to forgive you too, forgiven Christ's sake, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. All I need is the kindness of God. Well, you need the kindness of the Lord's people because they display that in you in the flesh. You see, that drive, that dynamic to Saul to love the brothers and to be a part of them, it's, it's real. That is why we, we've been challenging you for weeks and weeks now. 
Do you really make it a point to be with your brothers and sisters? Listen, not just worship on Sunday and Bible study on Wednesday night. I mean to talk to them before worship and after worship. That takes love to do that. To go up to somebody who you've sat in church with before for, for maybe for years and you've never really said, it's kind of awkward now. It's past the awkward stage because I know they've seen me and I've seen them. I just don't know their names. Never talk to them. It takes love to walk up to that person and say, hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm thrilled that you're here at Greg Gables to worship. You may say, that's not my style. Okay, maybe it's not. But, but that spirit ought to be yours to show love to brothers and sisters, to pray for them, to encourage them. Number five is witness. Let's move. Number five, church dynamic number five is a lesson in witnessing. A lot of verses here. See if you can pick out the, the theme in these. Verse 20, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. Verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Verses 27, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to them and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to putting him to death. Here is witness in the church. And listen to me, I want to tell you something. Witnessing isn't what God is doing in your heart. And and let me clarify, because testimonies are great. Testimonies can always lead to an opportunity for witnessing. But testimonies in themselves is not witnessing. Praise God, he works in your heart. But there's something that happened since the Romantic age in the 19th century, and that is this. Religion has begun to focus more and more on what God is doing in me. So when I feel peace, I feel comfort, I feel happiness, I feel good. Therefore, because of those feelings, I come in touch with the reality that there is a good God. Listen to me. Witness is about what God did in history regardless of how you feel about it. Jesus came into history, he really did, and he died to save his people from their sins, regardless what you feel about it. He is the Messiah. And listen to me, I say that because if you don't grasp this, you'll never be able to stand against the encroachment of the so-called new age religion that just facilitates church today. That says essentially, my feelings are my Christ. It's so important that you say, you know, regardless of what you're feeling, not that your feelings don't matter, not that we want to be emotionless robots, no, but regardless of what you're feeling, this Jesus really lived in history, he really died, he really operated in history to redeem his people, and witnesses, I want to tell you about this Jesus. You know, I'm lost in my life, I want to tell you about Jesus and how he's the way. I'm afraid of death. Let me tell you about Jesus and how he conquered death. My guilt was so great. I want to tell you about Jesus and the atonement. What is the truth? Let me tell you about Jesus who is true. Witnesses telling people wisely, boldly, graciously about Jesus who is the Savior, Lord, God, man, prophet, priest, and king. 
That's true witnessing. I want to ask you for your own self-examination, application to this. Do you desire to tell people about Jesus? You say, I've got a hard time doing that. That's not what I asked. Well, I'm, I'm afraid of that. Not what I asked. Paul had to grow in boldness because he obviously had some fear here. Do you want to tell people about Jesus if you're saved? You will. If God has worked in you a supreme love for Christ, you can no more talk about Jesus than I can talk about the wife that I love. So there's a witness in here, and then very quickly at the end, there's respite. You know what respite is, right? Rest from something that could be annoying you or aggravating you. In this case, the respite would be from someone coming and trying to kill you because you believe in Jesus, all right? They find a little bit of respite here. Look at verse 30 and 31. You'll see this. Actually, just start in verse 31. We looked at this already. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. It continued to increase. There was respite from the persecution and they grow, they grew in grace and in knowledge. And it was during that time, if you look at Acts 22, verses 17 through 21, you'll notice what happened in this time that's very significant. Because Saul is about to go away. Saul is about to leave for another purpose. In Acts 22, verse 17, it says, it happened when I, being Paul at this point, returned to Jerusalem, this is the time we're in now, and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. He was there for 15 days. He saw Peter and James, but none of the apostles. So he ministers there and he's in a trance. Verse 18, and I saw him saying to me, being Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slain him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. So Paul's getting sent away for more preparation for his call to the Gentiles. And then at the very end of Acts 9 and verse 30, it says, but when the brethren learned of it, that the Hellenistic Jews were trying to kill Paul, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And he actually is away in Tarsus for a period of about five to seven years. It's interesting, isn't it? Saul the persecutor becomes Saul the persecuted, right? So the Lord takes him away for seven years, and it's a little bit of a time of quiet. They had peace, it says. There was no persecution for those periods. They were edified. There was growth in grace for that period of respite. And it was a time of growth in the life of church. So what's the application for that? That is always true in church life. There are times, and I think a lot of us have probably experienced these in church, there are times where you have rapid fire times of difficulty, challenge, and problems, and then all of a sudden, there's a period of peace and calm for a while. Notice what this church did. They, they didn't come up with special things to do. They didn't say, well, where's Saul? We've got to get somebody else to lead us now. There was peace and they grew 
in grace. Church, don't despise quiet times. Thank God for that. Be still and know that God is God. Be thankful for those quiet times of respite. And I want you to see the result of all this. We come to a close. Notice in the midst of this, there is growth and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit It continued to increase. How did they multiply? Because they were reverent people. I forget who I was talking to. I was talking about somebody, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about somebody in our church and they said, so-and-so is a God-fearing woman. I thought about that. You don't hear that too often anymore, do you? But that's the mark of a church member. Joy the Lord, yes. Happy in Jesus, yes. But do you have reverence for God? See, these people walked carefully because they knew their God. The Spirit was much at work in the way they were multiplied. Where's Saul in all this? Saul's not even here and the church is growing for seven years. He's in Tarsus. He's out of the picture. What about our great leader? Friends, just remember this, and I say this with, with respect. No one is indispensable in the church. The church was multiplied. It grew without that leader because that's the theme of the book of Acts, the triumph of the word of God. In opposition of the word of God, the, God triumphs. In quiet, the word triumphs and the church is multiplied. The book of Acts is about behind the scenes, Jesus being there and regardless of what happens, whether it's opposition by pagan leaders, opposition by the Lord's people, or even peace, the word of God isn't added to, but it multiplies and the church grows. Listen to me. I, I don't know what's going to happen in politics in the next couple years, but I know this. The gospel triumphs. I, I don't know what's going to happen with radical Islam, but I know one day it's going to be toppled. I don't know what's going to happen in the situation in North Korea, but I know the gospel is going to be furthered. For our self-examination in church dynamics, let's just think about all the dynamics we listed so far. Do you really believe in amazing grace? Not only toward you, but toward anybody you meet so you can say, in the most debauched Christian of sinners you meet, praise God, there's an opportunity for the Lord to show the profound riches of his grace. Developing leadership. Are you praying for leadership gifts? Are you praying that the Lord of the church would send them, if not to you, then to others? Leadership, suffering, weakness, please, please, please have a biblical view of suffering and weakness. My extremity is God's opportunity. Church unity, church fellowship, are you being pulled away by too many things so that the church is marginalized in you? No, pass from death to life. Love the brethren, even those who may be unlovely. Witnessing, are you full of Christ so that you can't help but tell someone about the Lord Jesus and respite? You know, we despise respite. Get a break and what we do is we try to fill that break with all kinds of things to do or we think we're not holy. No, calm water for when you come to the white water rapids and growth. Are you really optimistic about Christ's kingdom? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. Have you lost confidence that God is going to build his church? Please don't. 
Let these church dynamics convict us and challenge us as we live out our Christian faith. All right, questions over 12 verses we covered. Any additional corroborative verses, any points, any comments whatsoever? Now's the time. You know, I often think that that might be, that, that's an that's a unsung hero in the contest for what that thorn was in Paul's side. You know, everybody is wondering, what was the, what was the sin that Paul struggled with more than anything else? Uh, it, it could very well be continued guilt, you know, uh, that just stuck with him everywhere. Every time he saw the Jews, I mean, can you, you can imagine, right? If you, uh, you think of anybody with PTSD or anything like that, of Especially now that at one point they're lost and then now they've been uh, recreated in Christ, that certainly there'd be some. Yeah. I mean, Stephen's friends were there. These are, these are people who love Stephen. They elected Stephen as a deacon. So these are people that had a high view of Stephen. And, uh, and Paul was there, was responsible for killing him. So, yeah, maybe. Could be. Yeah, Miss Phyllis? I agree. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lord's word, what we talked about on Sunday morning, you know, that same idea, you treat them as if you're, they're professed believers, then we're family in Christ. Treat them as family. Love them like family. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? All right. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for, Lord, uh, times of refreshment from heaven. Lord, I think that we are in a really sweet season in our church. We know that you, you are due all praise for that, and yet, Lord, let it be a time of preparation for us. Uh, we might prepare for Uh, spiritual growth in our own lives and the growth of our people in our community. Lord, we thank you that we see in the early Christian church a church just like this, people who were afraid, people um, who were difficult and struggled with being standoffish, uh, they're weak in their opposition, calm. Lord, we see all of those things, but remind us, Lord, that despite everything, you are in the back working. You're working all of these things. And we need to see them from your perspective. Help us to have a biblical worldview as we encounter the things of this world. As we leave this place, Father, we pray that you would water the seed planted here for the gospel's sake and we'd be stronger followers of Christ because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.